Blog Talk Radio. Good evening and welcome to Golf Talk Live. I'm your host, Ted Odorico, broadcasting live every Thursday, 6 to 8 p.m. Central, from Panama City Beach, Florida, home of the world's most beautiful beaches. I want to take this opportunity to thank everyone for joining me on my weekly broadcast. Every week, I'll feature some of the best instructors, coaches, authors, and entrepreneurs in the golf business today. I begin with a great discussion on Coach's Corner, followed by an insightful interview with my special guest. So let's get started by introducing tonight's Coach's Corner panel. All right, good evening, everybody, and welcome to Golf Talk Live. I'm your host, Ted Odorico, and we've got another great show for you this evening here on the blogtalkradio.com network. Uh, we're going to be starting off here in just a moment, of course, uh, with another panel discussion here on Coach's Corner, and tonight is going to be the panel of the Johns, and I'll explain to you a little bit about that in just a moment. And then later in the broadcast, I'm going to be joined by my very special guest, Don Helinski, uh, Director of Operations at Forest Dunes Golf Club uh, in the Michigan area, and we'll uh, talk to him uh, a little bit later on the show, talk about uh, some of the new things going on at Forest Dunes and uh, some very, very interesting stuff that's been happening there. So uh, make sure you tune in for that. Uh, don't forget, Golf Talk Live is brought to you by the iGolf Sports Network and Golf Tips Magazine. Uh, iGolf Sports is a live stream broadcast and media production company providing uh, top quality programming designed to attract the golfing enthusiast. And of course, Golf Tips, the game's most in-depth instruction magazine, offering insightful reviews on the latest equipment, tips from top PGA and LPGA teacher professionals, all designed to help improve your game from tee to green. Uh, so don't forget to subscribe today at golftipsmag.com. All right, as I mentioned, we're going to be starting things off here with uh, Coach's Corner. And uh, I've got two gentlemen on the, on the line tonight. Uh, first up is John Hughes. Uh, he's a PGA Master Professional and an Honorary President of the North Florida PGA Section. Uh, he was also a recipient of the 2013 PGA of America Horton Smith Award. And he is a senior editor and Golf Tips Magazine Top 25 instructor and, of course, is part of the Golf Tips advisory staff. Uh, also joining is the other John I told you. There were two Johns, John Decker, uh, PJ instructor, motivational speaker, and also a senior editor and Top 25 instructor, as well as part of the uh, Golf Tips advisory staff. Uh, he was the 2015 Southern Ohio Teacher of the Year. Uh, prior to that, he was the head instructor at the Grand Cypress Golf Academy uh, or sorry, Cypress Academy of Golf, uh, where he worked under top 100 instructors, Fred Griffin and Phil Rogers. And he authored the book, Golf is My Life, Glorifying God Through the Game, which of course has an accompanying Bible study. Uh, gentlemen, uh, welcome to Coach's Corner. Thank you, Ted. All right. Thanks, guys. Um, all right. We're going to start off with, um, we're going to talk about some of the common uh, problems, if you will, that uh, every beginner particularly makes. But um, I, I wanted to ask you guys um, this question, and I want to get feedback from both of you on this. Um, you know, we've mentioned a number of times on, on the show um, that there are a lot of women of, of all ages uh, that have really sort of gravitated to, to uh, golf over the last few years. In fact, uh, according to some of the statistics, depending on who you, you listen to, um, it can range anywhere from about 30 to 35% of all new golfers starting each season um, are women and ranging from, you know, about 13 
up to about 35. And of course, there are older and, and younger even than that. Uh, but that's generally the, the, the range of, of the majority of them coming into the game. So my question is, I'm going to start with uh, John Decker, and I'm going to refer to them as their last names uh, from here on out, just so uh, that everybody knows which John is, is answering the question. So it's kind of a three-part question. I want to get uh, uh, some feedback on this. So with so many women getting into the game, where should they begin, number one? What do they often do wrong as a beginner? And what do they do right, Mr. Decker? Well, first of all, uh, Ted, thank you for having me on the show. And, John, I look forward to, as always, being on with you. Um, Starting out with the first part of the question was for the – Women was um, – could you repeat that again? I'm sorry, Ted. The Was um, – I'll, I'll repeat the th- whole thing. So with, with so many women sure. getting into the game, uh, obviously it's a big number, um, you know, roughly a third of, of all new golfers. The first part of the question is where should they begin? What should they be doing first when they uh, are, are wanting to um, begin playing golf? What do they often do wrong as a beginner, and what do they do right? So there's three parts to that. What's, what's the first step they should take? Um, when they're first learning to, uh, or, or, you know, coming to the game, what quite often are they doing wrong as a beginner? What are some things that you've noticed that, that maybe they do wrong that um, would help make the process a little bit better for them? And also, what are some of the things that they are doing right as a beginner? Well, first of all, uh, w- one of the things that that I noticed that, uh, or, you know, that I see a lot with, with the women when they start playing, especially juniors and a lot of uh, younger girls, is um, they should, I recommend that they start out with some sort of organized instruction. Um, and and typically, um, you know, the juniors like to do it in groups. I've always found that one of the best ways for girls, and this goes for junior boys as well, but is to do it in groups, uh, whether it's two to four. And if it gets larger than that, uh, then it becomes, it can uh, get a little bit distracting. But, um, you know, girls by nature are a little more social uh, when they're younger and when they're first learning the game than the boys are. Boys, um, you know, uh, they like the, more of the competition style. So, you know, with the boys, I'm doing a lot, of, a lot more, uh, uh, you know, t- competition and uh, beat the pro type stuff. Girls, uh, I try to uh, get them in groups where um, it's, you know, the, the social aspect is, is such a big part of it. Um, as far as what they do wrong and what they do right, uh, I mean, typically, um, and this goes for whether they're female or male, uh, when they first start, um, it's just in basic fundamentals and, you know, how they hold the club and, and the things that, you know, you, most people when they walk into an a introductory golf lesson, they're not going to know how to hold the club. Um, the biggest issue that I see with a lot of the girls versus the boys is the boys usually have a little bit more of a sports background as far as playing more sports. Now, this has changed a lot over the, over the years, and, 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 you know, you see a lot of girls playing soccer. You see a lot of girls playing lacrosse, which, which is uh, – I'm, I'm amazed at the number of, of women that are playing lacrosse. Uh, so, so there is some similarities there, but, but a lot of times when girls come and they're taking um, lessons for the first time, uh, they're only, their background may be only in dance or, or, you know, they're into singing or something different. And so I have to tailor my presentations and the way I present the information to them a little bit differently. What they do right is, quite frankly, they listen better. Um, they, they're much better listeners than the boys are, uh, and, I, and that goes for the women as well. Uh, they tend to really take notes. They tend to really gravitate on what, you're, what you tell them to do. 
and they will follow you step by step in what you ask them to do. And so that's what, what as a teacher, uh, that's very gratifying and very encouraging because they're not, you know, misbehaving and getting in trouble. They're typically uh, a little bit better in the listening skills. Yeah, I, I would agree. I think they, they tend to be more focused. You know, it's interesting, as I've mentioned many times in the program, um, you know, Tuesday mornings, of course, I co-host with my good friend, LPJ professional, Cindy Miller, and and uh, we're actually just starting back up again with some of the Symmetra Tour players. Uh, in fact, we're going to be interviewing our first winner um, next uh, Tuesday, um, obviously because they, like many of the other tours, have been on kind of a hiatus. And one of the interesting things is they're they're very very focused in their game, and uh, you, you raise some uh, a lot of interesting points. I'm sure uh, John Hughes will will concur with a lot, but um, um, that you've said, and, and maybe have some other thoughts as well. But um, yeah, they're very very focused. They're very um, really pay attention and don't tend to stray off of, of instruction. You know, if they don't agree with something, they'll certainly uh, talk about it, whatever. But um, if you specifically ask them to do things, um, they're very, very uh, mindful of that and will not stray from that unless they feel that it's, it's not in their best interest. And then they'll uh, obviously engage in a conversation with their coach or their, their teacher professional. Um, John Hughes, what about your thoughts? Uh, Mr. Hughes, as we say, um, I know you probably concur a lot with uh, with Mr. Decker, uh, but what have you noticed? Um, number one, where do you think they should begin uh, coming into the game? How should they begin? And what are some of the things that you've seen them doing wrong starting out as a beginner? And what are some points that you've noticed that they do right? And I think, John, I'm not sure if you... Oh, my apologies. I guess we got dropped. Uh, did you hear the question, John? I did. Uh, thanks for the opportunity, Ted, to be on the show again this evening. John, uh, appreciate your answers as always. Uh, what I see in general, whether it's male or female, as far as starting, is from the smallest things to the biggest things. Golf can be overwhelming to a beginner, uh, whether female or male, old or young, uh, whether they have athletic ability or not. Uh, I don't really believe there's uh, anything someone does wrong so much as maybe they're not doing it in the right sequence is, and I'd never use the word wrong uh, as I coach and coach my clients. Uh, I'll always suggest possibly a better way or, or possibly a different way because uh, golf brings such negative connotation and circumstance more often than not. So when it comes to the beginners terming things correctly to build some confidence and there's no better way of building some confidence than sinking a few putts right away and having an understanding of what little bit that takes. Quite often, a lot of people have played putt-putt before and in this day and age, they're going to the standalone amusement type golf facilities and making a swing of the club and they may get frustrated doing that. I bring them back to the basics of not only the putting, but the full swing. What I see people doing right, not only male females, but males, is their passion for the game, their passion to want to learn. Uh, the listening, that's all part of it. But when it comes to doing something right, just repeating it in general 
is something that you're going to be doing right. If you're a beginner and you give it up, well, you've given it up. And like anything, it takes a few repetitions to get it right, or at least right for you. Uh, And then being able to build from that, from the green backwards into, say, a driver at some point within a clinic setting, there's nothing that says you can't work backwards. And what I've found throughout the years, especially with an absolute beginner, that if you can build them up backwards from putting to driving, give them a little bit of knowledge of the golf course, build some confidence, male or female, you'll get them where you want them to go, which is having fun and continuing to play the game. Yeah, you you raised some very interesting points about really, um, first and foremost, golf is uh, and can be very, very difficult and can be very overwhelming uh, for those that have never played or maybe been exposed to the game uh, very much. So I, I think I would agree. I think you have to start with, with the basics um, and not just the fundamentals. Obviously, those are, are uh, important, but just something very simple, uh, you know, even getting out on the putting surface and, and hitting a few short putts and, and uh, maybe working on some chipping and, and things like that, just getting them comfortable with the clubs and helping them to understand um, the various roles and, and what they can and cannot do with the club. Um, I think sometimes just being very basic um, can be less intimidating. When you're dealing with the full swing, that takes a little bit more uh, effort and energy, of course, as we all know. And I think sometimes to start people off um, on that end of things, you know, John, you and I, uh, I'm referring to uh, Hughes here, you know, we talked about recently about a program, uh, Operation 36, uh, which is a very interesting program. And uh, if you want to just take a moment, John, and maybe uh, sort of gloss over an overview of what, uh, for those that are not familiar, what Operation 36 is. I think it's a great program, and particularly for beginners, I think this is something. If you want to just maybe share a little bit about uh, Operation 36. Sure. It's the brainchild of a professor of golf management and several of his students at Campbell University several years ago where they really brought it down to the simplicity of the game that over the course of nine holes, par, for the most part, equals 36. So what can we do each and every time out as coaches to have our clients shoot 36? And it's based on ability. It's based on a growth curve. Uh, You start at the green. And if it takes you four putts per hole to score 36, then guess what? You scored 36. Congratulations. Let's see if you can score nine less, which is 27 next time, which means you're going from four putting to three putting. As you progress, you're moving backwards from the green to the point where you can still score 36. When you're scoring higher than that, then that's the time to stop. You know those are the skills that you need to work on. Those are the skills that are it's time to master, for lack of a better way of saying it. And as you get better at these skills, then we can move you backwards. Again, with the, with the concept of you only move backwards when you're ready to shoot 36 from that further distance. It's a novel concept. It's, it is very popular. Uh, I met with them last week to potentially do this at a se- second facility I'm considering. 
and it's it, it's a phenomenal way to get somebody involved while still stoking their confidence and having them understand, hey, it's okay to start small and work to big. And I, I think in the not too distant future, you'll probably see a couple Symmetra. Uh, uh, LPGA, PGA, Corn Ferry people that literally started with that concept of Operation 36. I wouldn't be surprised to see that at all. Yeah, it's a very interesting. I, I really like it. Um, you know, it was actually mentioned to me a little while back um, by Cindy Miller, who uh, is, as you are, a big proponent of that. And I, I think it really, uh, again, introduces people to. Uh, an easier way to help learn and, and, and get some early positive feedback. I mean, that's so crucial uh, in this game. Um, all right. As I mentioned, we were going to talk about, thank you for that, uh, John, by the way. Um, as I mentioned, we were going to talk about some of the uh, common problems and um, John Decker, uh, one of the issues that a lot of people have is the inability to read greens Give us a little bit of lesson, if you will. I know we don't have the, the benefit of visual here uh, on the program, but maybe you can just talk people through about what you're looking for and what we mean by reading the green. Well, this is, a, this is one of my favorite things to go over in the short game. The first thing that I often will ask students to think about is when you watch a construction of a new road, before they ever build the roads, the first thing they do is they build the retention pond and they put the drainage in and all the all of that that and the, basically they have to move the water. Well, a golf architect has to do the same thing. If, if water is allowed to stand on a green, it will kill a green. And the greenskeepers uh, are very aware of this. And so when they develop and 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 they build this, the first thing they do is they put in a golf course is they build the low area. So they build the, all the ponds and all of the areas or the slopes, add the slopes in to drain the water. So that's one of the first thing I, I, things I try to get students to do is look for the low areas. I also try to t teach people about what's called the linear plane, and that's to find the highest point of the, of the green, which is typically, not always, but typically somewhere on the back. And then the lowest area which is always or typically uh, on the front. Uh, again, this can be, I've seen linear planes that go from right to left and left to right, and some that go from front to back. Nicholas is famous for adding like one of those holes on every one of his golf courses. So you want to think about like a sheet of paper, you know, and tilting it. If you wanted to drain water off of it, uh, you know, how would you tilt it and where would you tilt it? So I'm always getting students to focus on that. And then I look for crowns, which are high areas. So if you think about your hat, if you take a, a golf hat off, the very top of that is the crown. And so there, a lot of the architects will put crowns in where the high areas are. So anytime the pin is on a high area, it is very difficult to get to because if you miss it a little bit to the left, it rolls left. If you miss it a little bit to the right, it goes right, short, it comes up and your, comes right back to you and if you hit it too hard it goes past and then the last things are the saddles or the low areas so anytime you have a crown uh, which is a high area you have to have a low area now when they put the pin in the low areas it's much easier so if you think about the masters at number 16 
Number 16, they put the pin on the back left. That is in a saddle. So a lot of the players will hit the ball to the right of the hole, 20, 30 feet right of the hole, and then gravity will bring it down to the hole. But you notice on either Friday or Saturday, sometimes on Thursday, they put the pin on top on number 16, and that hole plays much more difficult. I've seen guys hit it in there six feet, and then it rolls back down the slope, and they have a 45, 50-footer straight up that hill. So that's obviously not an ideal situation to be in. So I, I try to instruct and teach players to look for those uh, those areas, the linear plane, the crowns, and the saddles. And then you have to pay attention to obviously where the pin is and then, you know, which side of the, the green, you know, the, 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 all these factors are going to be in, which you couldn't possibly go over in a podcast. But if you can identify, learn to identify the linear plane, the saddles, and the crowns, you're going to start being much more educated. And remember, there's not a golf green in America that's level. There may be level putts but there's not a golf green that's ever built this level. Otherwise it wouldn't, it wouldn't last one summer. So, so really uh, pay attention to that and that should really help you in your greens reading. And, and John, let me just ask you one more thing. Uh, Cause a lot of people, you know, look at this as well uh, when reading the greens is uh, important to know is, is which way the grain um, quite often, yeah. you know, we look from one, one direction, the grain, uh, looks a little bit lighter, and when we look from another direction, it's a little bit darker. Just very quickly, if you wouldn't mind, explain uh, what that's about. Well, it's real simple. Grain grows downhill. There's a lot of people that have said in the past that it grows with the setting sun, but that, that is not true. It grows downhill. And so if you're downhill, if you have a downhill putt, it's going to look very brown and kind of uh, almost like a shiny shade to it. If it looks really deep, rich, and green, you're going into the grain, which means you're going uphill. So when you watch a lot of times, you really see this in Florida when you watch the, when the Florida swing happens, uh, you can see from the aerial shot of the green, you'll see some areas that look really green and bright or, you know, like really, really rich and green. And then you see other areas that look brown. If it looks brown, you're going, that, you know, that's downhill. If it looks really rich and green, that's uphill. Very good. Um, Mr. Hughes, um, I'm going to give you this question about bunkers. Um, we're going to deal with, uh, particularly for the moment, greenside bunkers. Um, and, and, you know, here's some helpful tips, I guess. Um, there are different types of, of greenside bunker shots. Some are a little bit longer. Uh, obviously, some are a little bit shorter. Does the swing differ a little bit? Um, depending on the distance, obviously we're going to take the club back a little bit more on that. But what about the trajectory of um, our swing? Is it going to be more uh, abrupt and upwards on a short uh, bunker shot, or is it going to be a little bit more level uh, for a longer bunker shot? Well, when we're talking about a beginner, the first thing I have them understand is a bunker shot is no different than hitting a pitch shot that if you can hit a basic pitch shot to 40, 50 yards, whatever the case may be for them, you take that same swing into the bunker. To me, greenside bunkers is probably the most overtaught aspect of golf. Uh, there's a lot of do's and don'ts based on whose camp you're in or whose camp you buy into. Uh, when you realize that modern wedges with the bounce that's designed into them 
and the leading edges, how they're designed and, and ground, that you can literally leave a sand wedge square or even close to a target. And if you make a pitch shot swing, nine times out of 10, it gets out of the bunker. And for a beginner, that's most important, is to have them understand the simplicity of it and have them understand that if they make a swing they're used to doing, used to making somewhere else on the golf course, that the ball will get out. Now, of course, the ball position's got to change so you can explode some sand into it, but that's only one adjustment versus multiple adjustments that other methods, I'll use that term, will have you try to buy into. Once you can get the ball out consistently, I think what a beginner finds is their ability to not only alter their swing, but alter certain setup positions that allows for trajectory to go a little bit higher, go a little bit lower, have the ball travel not as far, have the ball travel further, have it stop versus release. Uh, the, the real key for a beginner is just learning to get it out. If what I've found in the past, if I move a beginner forward in the timeline of hitting bunker shots because they have a question, and they're not getting nine out of 10 out. Typically they'll run into some frustration. They'll start trying to manipulate this particular type of shot to their detriment. Typically what you'll see is somebody trying to scoop the ball out, trying to lift it out versus explode the sand into it. So once you can understand your setup position ball slightly forward of where you had it for a pitch shot, you're just trying to hit the pitch shot and hit a proverbial or actual line, because rakes make lines in the sand. If you can pick out a line, half inch, inch, depending upon the, the structure of the sand, and hit that line to explode the ball out with the sand, that's as simple as it gets for the beginner. Once you can get that concept moving into one adjustment at a time, maybe altering your swing, maybe altering ball position forward, maybe opening up the golf club, uh, having an understanding of opening your stance or closing your stance, but just taking one adjustment at a time and understanding what that one adjustment does to that nine out of 10 swing that gets it out makes hitting greenside bunker shots just that much easier. It's, it's not about all the do's and don'ts. The only do is to get it out when you're, when you're a beginner, mm-hmm. and a pitch shot swing will do that for you. Well said. Yeah, I think uh, I agree. I think a lot of um, emphasis put on, uh, um, you know, a lot of the different techniques and and theories, if you will, of how to get out of uh, the bunker. But the truth of the matter is getting out is the number one priority is let's get it out of the, out of the sand and and get it back in play. Uh, Very well said. Um, Mr. Decker, we're going to talk just a little bit, or rather you are, uh, about chipping and wedges. Um, You know, we always here um for a long time that you know obviously with a chip shot unlike uh, a pitch shot um we want to get the ball rolling as soon as possible it's we're dealing with shorter distances than we would typically with a pitch shot um and most recreational golfers have 
pretty much stuck with one club, um, maybe their pitching wedge or, or another wedge uh, that they're comfortable with. Um, but that's not always necessarily the best selection. If you're working with a new student, let's say, or a beginning golfer, um, and you're teaching them that aspect of the game, um, is it in their best interest to have them maybe experiment with other clubs uh, chipping? Uh, and, and if so, why? Well, I'm going, when it comes to chipping, I'm going to talk about my mentor, Phil Rogers, who was probably one of the greatest chippers to ever play on the PGA Tour. Um, and Phil was very adamant about teaching students, and this is something I believe myself, to use different clubs. Because his philosophy was, I have a better chance to teach the average person one swing than I do 25 swings. Because there's um, a million different shots that you can get around the green. You can't possibly in the one day practice every shot that you would get on a golf course in a nine-hole round of golf. So um, it's very important to understand, just like you do in the full swing, if you think about it, in the full swing, if you have a 100-yard shot, you might use your pitching wedge. If you have a 110-yard shot or 115-yard shot, you might use your 9-iron and then your 8-iron, and then your 7-iron. You change clubs all the time. You don't change your swing. You might adjust your setup a little bit, but you don't change your swing. You basically have a swing grooved in, and then you take the club that's appropriate. Once the student understands, and they do have to understand how to use the different loss. For example, I don't want them chipping with a 6-iron when the pin is only 10 feet away, but I also don't want them chipping with a pitching wedge when the pin is 50 feet away. So I, you have to explain, and there's a little bit of understanding that has to be done, and that's my job as a teacher, and I think John uh, would agree with this. But once they understand how to use different lofts, then it's just practice, and they have a built-in swing. So the, in the example I just gave you, if I have a, a, a pin that's 10 feet away or a pin that's 50 feet away, I don't change my swing. I change my club. If you're a person, and I've had this uh, discussion with top 100 teachers who say, oh, no, John, that's way too difficult. You only teach people to use one club. Well, then I said, well, if they use one club, when they hit the 10-yard shot or the 10, you know, they've got to have a swing. And when they go to 50-foot shot, they've got to have a different swing. They can't have possibly have the same swing because one swing is making the ball go 10 feet and the other swing is making the ball go 50 feet. So they have to change their swing. I would much rather teach someone to change a club because anyone can change a club. I can teach someone how to chip with a six iron through a pitching wedge in one lesson. I cannot teach them five different golf swings in one lesson. It's impossible. So I'm a big believer in changing clubs. It requires practice, just like anything would, and it requires a little bit of understanding. But once you understand, it's a simp you're simply taking a lofted club and making a putting style motion. That's all you're doing. You're putting with a lofty club. And once you learn to get the ball on the green and let the ball do the work and not you, you're going to find that the game is a lot easier. You know, that's a really great point. Um, you know, I think back years ago, uh, John, thank you for that, by the way. When I, I remember the first time I watched um, Jack Nicholas's video series, Golf My Way, and I remember him talking about that very same thing. Of course, he was referring to the full swing. And, you know, in his video series, he talked about how he had one swing, but 14 different clubs. 
Uh, obviously, his putter um, was was not uh, used the same way, but uh, all of his other clubs, whether it was his driver, whether it was his wedges or his medium or long irons, um, he had one swing. And it was a matter of allowing the loft to do the work, whether he needed to go a shorter distance or a longer distance. Now, obviously, chipping and, and other certain uh, specialty shots are going to require something a little bit different. He subscribed to the same theory that instead of trying to have 14 different swings, he had one swing and 14 different clubs. Um, and I, I agree with, with your analogy as well. I think that sometimes if you're trying to um, do things necessarily with one club, I mean, you have 14 clubs in the bag. Um, you know, we've, how many times have we seen over the years, uh, maybe not as much now, but um, some of the top players that will putt with their, with their fairway wood. Um, a lot of them use hybrids now um, to even ship with. So, um, you know, they've learned to, to utilize what's in their, what's in their bag. Um, and I, I think that uh, that was uh, some, some sound advice. Um, Mr. Hughes, we're going to talk about, you know, everybody gets excited about going long and, and hitting their driver uh, off the tee and, and putting themselves in position. But there's one area that a lot of amateurs I don't think really understand. I'd like for you to maybe explain a little bit um, about their driver, um, especially about their driver selection. Uh, there's so many models out there, so many manufacturers out there. But one thing that, that the pros differ in from the amateurs is they understand um, – the what role the shaft plays and how important it is to have the right shaft uh, in your club. So talk about it from that standpoint. If you want to get the most out of your driver and you want it to, um, you know, be successful with with your tee shots, that's an area you cannot overlook. And having the right shaft or the wrong shaft can make a difference in your driver performance. Maybe if you could touch a little bit on that. Sure, I've I've been fitting clubs since 1996. Uh, I was taught by a lot of the uh, uh, originators of the Brunswick rifle shaft, which we now know is a true temper product, through uh, Slazinger, which was based in Greenville, South Carolina, uh, as far as the U.S. headquarters. I was lucky enough that the CEO was a member of the club where I was, and got a really good understanding of fitting in the week-long fitting lessons they gave me. Uh, I'm certified with a lot of different companies, most recently Callaway, which I'm a staff member of. So I want to be transparent and put that out there so the listeners can understand that uh, am I partial to one club manufacturer at this point? Yes. But I would tell you from Dating back 24, almost 25 years ago, one thing's remained consistent, and that is the shaft. And I can sum it up in one phrase. You want to have the most flexible shaft in your hand that you can control the ball flight with. What do I mean by that? I'll give you a great example. I had a, a coworker in Hilton Head at the IJGA who was six foot six could swing the club 105 miles an hour plus, and he played with a regular shaft, whereas everybody was trying to get him to play with a stiff or an extra stiff. At the end of the day, his name was Don. Don told us point blank he would literally get belligerent with us sometimes because we were that adamant <laughs> with him, you need to go to a stiffer shaft. And he says, look, fellas, 
this regular shaft with just a half inch more and the grip built up is all I need and it's all I can handle. This is what I can control. And he was very accurate. He rarely missed a fairway. And he was about five, six years older than me, and he would bomb it by me, partially because of his leverage part was I'm playing an extra stiff shaft, which was releasing the energy much earlier than hitting the ball. Don's was releasing the energy through the ball, and that's really key when it comes to shafts. So being males, sometimes they'll get the testosterone and the ego in the way, and they want to swing a heavier shaft, heavier meaning stiff or extra stiff. I think there's been a lot of progress in the 25 years I've been fitting to be able to quantitatively and objectively measure what is the best shaft for you and whether it's club champion, uh, or which I'm partial to, I'm one of their ambassadors, or their other competitors, you're going to get fit by a Callaway professional or a tailor-made professional or a Titleist professional. We're all trying to find the shaft that fits you best right off the get-go because that is the engine to all golf clubs is that shaft. In particular with a driver, it's extra long. It's 45 inches long as it's standardized now by most of the manufacturers. That's a very long shaft for a lot of amateurs to be able to control. Uh, if it's too heavy, you're going to release it early. If it's too whippy, you're going to have a very hard time trying to hold lag angle, correct lag angle, to make that release through the ball. So when you're in the market for a driver, I highly suggest going to a certified fitter that has the equipment and check your ego at the door, man. If you need the regular shaft, and that's the one you can't control, and you're getting maximum not only distance but accuracy out of it, it's quite all right. It's okay. Uh, take, take some nail polish and paint over the R if you have to, but that is <laughs> the most important part of what your driver is supposed to be doing for you. That is an excellent point, um, John, because – so many um, amateurs, when they're looking at getting some new equipment, whether it be their irons or particularly their driver, um, too often, again, they get caught up in the numbers. And as you pointed out, it's really about what you can control. And, um, you know, if you're a, a strong player and maybe a tall player and you can generate a lot of club head speed, you know, that stiff or even in some cases very rare uh, an extra, extra stiff shaft might be appropriate. But the truth of the matter is most people, I think, out there, particularly amateurs, can easily um, play and, and probably handle a regular shaft. And this is an area that I think a lot of times overlooked. Too many people go out, they'll buy a, a set of golf clubs, and they'll sort of leave it as is, um, whatever's sort of coming off the rack and maybe making a few adjustments. But they forget quite often, particularly with the driver, the shaft, and a lot of times yeah, they're misfitted. They're not they're not fit properly uh, for their game, and they're wondering why, you know, as you pointed out, um, their shots are going all over the place. It's not necessarily that they're not swinging the club properly. A lot of times the equipment they're using may not be properly fitted for them. So that's a great point. 
On the other end of the spectrum, uh, Mr. Decker, is the grip. Um, we've talked about, excuse me, many times um, about how, how to hold the club, but we don't really talk a lot about uh, the actual grip itself. Um, there's again, much like the shafts, there's a lot of products out there. What should people be looking for um, when it comes to the grip end of the club? Well, the first thing that that most students need to do is um, is they need to change their grips. Um, I, I recommend once a year, at least once every couple of years. A lot of it's really going to depend on how you, how much you play. Um, in you know, try not to store your golf clubs in your car uh, in the trunk. Uh, you'll get much more life out of your grips. And and there's nothing wrong with washing your grips as well. So making sure. I had a student today, I was giving a lesson, and um, I picked up this wedge, and I literally thought if I swing this, I could l literally let go of it because it was, it had to have been 10 years old, and it was not anywhere. Um, it would be almost impossible to have a really good golf grip because if your grips are worn out, um, you're going to squeeze the club tighter, to, especially in the summer months if, as your hands perspire. Uh, or if they're a little bit wet, and, and if it's raining or if, it, or if there's moisture out there, you're really going to struggle with that. So it's very important that your grips be up-to-date and new. And then as far as grip size and grip, you know, as far as the what grip you go with, whether you go with like a, something with a half cord or if you go with something that's built up, it's going to depend on your hand size. Uh, you obviously want to hold the club in the fingers. This is where you need to go to your local uh, PGA golf professional and you need to talk to him and him or her and um, actually talk about, you know, what size grip uh, is going to be best for you based on your hand size. Because um, if you have a grip that's too small for you or if you have a grip that's too large for you, it's going to definitely affect your ability to create club head speed and also to be able to uh, control your shots. Because uh, if, you're, if your grip is too small, uh, you're going to tend to really, really have trouble, uh, you know, with the with the club face uh, possibly getting too closed or too open because you're having to put so much of your hand on the club to hold it. Uh, a grip that's too bit too large is definitely going to keep you from uh, allowing you to release the club. You're going to lose power. You're going to tend to hit the ball to the right and have trouble getting the ball in the air. So grip size is important, and that's something again that you know that's going to vary. Uh, for for every person depending on their hand size, but but the basic thing that that I always believe in is I like to go with a grip that feels good in my hands, um, and and there's different grips out there, uh, so it's important that you get that. The the Tour Velvet has always uh, been one of my favorites. I love the feel of that, but uh, it requires me, uh, you know, uh, several times a year to take some hot soap and water, a brush, and and clean them off, just like you clean off your club heads. If you do that, you'll get much more life out of them, and uh, it's something that's really overlooked by most golfers. Yeah, and, and that's why I wanted to bring it up uh, tonight. You know, these are areas, they seem very simple to us because, you know, we're familiar with the process. We deal with it on a regular basis, and we understand when it comes to our own game certain things that we need to take care of in order to get the best, um, you know, out of the equipment and, and so forth. But a lot of amateurs really fall short, um, both on selecting the right shaft, as, as uh, John Hughes mentioned, and uh, as you just uh, wrapped up um, about the grip itself. Um, you know, we, we often talk about some area, other areas of the game, like the fundamentals, and we talk about, you know, holding the club correctly. 
Um, but if we're not using the right equipment uh, or it's mismatched for our game, uh, that a lot of times can uh, lead to a lot of the difficulties that, and challenges that we may have. And ultimately, what typically ends up happening with most amateur golfers is they think it's them and they start making adjustments. And the next time they come to the lesson tee, um, you know, all of a sudden they're doing all kinds of funky things when really it could be an equipment issue. So it, it's, as, as both have pointed out, um, folks, it's really important to go to your local professional, whether it's PJ or LPJ, and uh, meet with them and, and have them take a look at the equipment you're currently using, uh, find out whether or not the shafts that you're using is appropriate for your game. And uh, as, uh, as uh, mentioned, John, uh, about getting your grips, uh, if you're someone that you know only plays a, a couple of times a year, uh, certainly you don't have to necessarily change them out as often. Um, but if you're uh, having difficulty holding on because they're slick, um, it might be time to, to put some new ones on there. Um, great, uh, great answer. Uh, Mr. Hughes, I'm going to give you the last one here, and then we'll wrap up. Uh, this one's sort of a combination of talking about playing the course. Uh, for a lot of beginners, obviously, we want to get them out there on the golf course. Uh, and when you're in trouble, um, what are some options? A lot of times, um, you know, we watch Sunday afternoons uh, on the tour and we see a lot of professionals getting into trouble and we try to emulate what they're doing. Uh, but when you're a beginner and you don't have the same skill set, um, there might be some options. Uh, problems can be certainly solved with, with patience and, and thoughtfulness, uh, but a new uh, golfer sometimes uh, gets caught up in trying to you know, play the hero shot, if you will. So maybe give us a, a, an example. When you're out there playing the course, how should a, a, a beginner approach playing as opposed to a professional? And when they do find themselves what they're certainly going to do, um, give maybe some suggestions on what a smarter play might be and give an example if you'd like. Sure. The, the, the biggest thing for beginners to understand a, what I call a personal par. And personal part takes into effect not only the length of a hole, the difficulty of a hole, but the transgressions that you experience as you play that hole. Uh, transgressions being, did you plop it in the water? Did you hit it out of bounds? Uh, did you incur another penalty? And simply because the golf course is par 72 doesn't necessarily mean that's your par. Combine that with trying to make decisions that keep par in play. I coined that phrase many years ago from a strategic standpoint of view. I, I call it a decision-making factor. Can you make smarter decisions with your current skill set, with the armory of weapons that you own right now? As you said, when you're watching the professionals on TV, their, their arsenal of, of weapons is massive compared to what a beginner has. If a beginner can put a club on a ball and get the ball back in play, nine times out of ten that's going to result in a lower score versus trying to hit what you call the hero shot. And you've got to take it on a risk-reward, uh, a conservative aggression approach is a term I use. Can you make a conservative decision within your arsenal of shots that you have, meaning let's play a shot you know you can hit, but let's be aggressive playing it. A lot of times I'll see the, the aggressive decision being made and then trying to play the shot conservatively, and that almost always leads to higher scores 
because you're self-doubting in the middle of your swing whether you can pull that shot off or not. So the combination of all these things that I've said, basically, hey, what is your personal par? If you're if on a par five, your best score is six, then you should be keeping six in your mind as you make decisions. Always keep par in play when you're in trouble. When you're in trouble, understand what you can and can't do. Let's make a conservative decision based on what you can do so you can feel comfortable enough to be aggressive with that play. Most of the time, this is going to lead to lower scores with your current skill set. I believe it's something that you can instantly improve your game with, just being able to understand what your, what your ability is and how to make great decisions off your current ability versus something aggressive that you may pull off one in 100 shots. Yes, that one in 100 is what you may come back for, but it's the other 99, which is why you see John and I on a regular basis where we're trying to help you make smarter decisions with current skill sets first and foremost because if you can do that you're going to have a lot more fun playing golf you're going to be more inquisitive as to how to add more shots to your arsenal well said well john and john i want to thank both of you uh for doing a great job on the coach's corner panel um as always, uh, you managed to bring your best to the discussions. And I want to give each of you uh, an opportunity. We'll go in the same order. Um, Mr. Decker, you can start first. If, if uh, those tuning into the program want to reach out and get in touch with you, uh, some ways that they can do that. And then uh, Mr. Hughes. Well, Ted, uh, first of all, thank you for uh, having me on the show. And, John, I've really enjoyed as always, I always learn something when I'm on the show with you, and I really enjoyed it being on with you tonight. Uh, for the listeners out there, the, the, if you want to reach me through social media, um, I go by um, – I'm listed under as John Decker Golf Instruction, and um, my first name is spelled J-O-N, so John Decker Golf Instruction. I'm on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, and YouTube. Um, I also uh, am now a senior editor with uh, Golf Tips Magazine, as is John and, and yourself, Ted. And so um, I've got instructional articles uh, in that as well in a new series called Fairways to Heaven. So hopefully the listeners out there will subscribe to the magazine and keep up with, with uh, all of us uh, through, through the magazine. Um, and um, I've got my book, Golf is My Life, Glorifying God Through the Game. You can purchase that on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and Walmart.com. Uh, websites, and uh, I'm available for speaking engagements, or uh, I also have a Bible study with the book, so if you're interested in having me come speak uh, churches or uh, golf clinics or anything or doing instructional clinics, reach out to me on social media, and I'll be glad to come to your area, and uh, once again, thank you. All right, I appreciate it, John. And Mr. Hughes, how about yourself? Well, again, thanks, Ted, for the opportunity. Always a pleasure uh, being part of the show. John Decker, uh, same compliment to you, uh, especially with the Phil Rogers mention. Um, I didn't realize I was a Phil's, Phil Rogers disciple until tonight, and uh, I appreciate that. Uh, people can reach me very simply, www.johnhughesgolf.com. And you can take that same moniker and apply it to Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, 
Instagram or YouTube. You just type it in, and you're going to find me there. Uh, very easy to get a hold of me. If you contact me before 5 o'clock any day of the year, you're guaranteed to reply back. Um, I'm looking forward to the future, uh, not only with the magazine. It sounds like I got a promotion tonight, the senior editor. Thanks, Ted, for that. <laughs> Appreciate that. And uh, you can see me, my articles in, in golf tips. I try to make them as generic as I can to, to the various milestones we're all trying to break. And I'm also looking forward to getting some video out here shortly, not only for the magazine, but for a personal project that I'll probably be announcing uh, early fall. Uh, but again, thanks, Ted, for the opportunity. Always a pleasure. Well, guys, thank you for all that you do, uh, not only helping uh, the golfers out there learn this game and, and get out and have some fun, but thank you for your contributions to the magazine. As uh, you both mentioned, um, uh, you're you're both uh, on the editing staff, but also uh, providing some great tips in here. Uh, John Decker's uh, got some tips in here, as well as his uh, series, uh, Fairways to Heaven. And as uh, John Hughes just mentioned, uh, we've been running here uh, again this season, his uh, golf milestones for 2020. And part four uh, of that series is going to be hitting uh, the newsstands with the latest uh, issue of Golf Tips with of course, uh, legendary Jack Nicholas on the cover. Uh, great uh, cover story in there as well. Um, that'll be hitting newsstands August the 4th. So you want to make sure subscribers, uh, of course, will be already receiving their uh, issues or certainly will be shortly. Uh, but in uh, just a little over a week's time or about a week's time, uh, it will be hitting the newsstands on sale and uh, available at uh, many, many newsstands, both here uh, in the United States and Canada, as well as uh, available uh, for subscribers uh, overseas. Uh, but uh, Barnes & Noble and Books A Million are some of the larger uh, places, uh, as well as uh, in Publix and some of the other uh, areas as well. So uh, check your, your local uh, Barnes & Noble and or Books A Million or even your local grocery store uh, in their magazine section uh, for a copy of Golf Tips. Uh, or better yet, uh, for just $14.97, uh, if you go to golftipsmag.com, uh, which is, of course, the website, you can subscribe there. But thank you guys for, for your contributions. I look forward to uh, reading some more great articles, as I know the listeners will. Um, thank you for your contributions to the magazine, and thank you to your contributions here uh, to Coach's Corner on Golf Talk Live. Um, have a great uh, rest of the week and, and the weekend, and um, I look forward to you joining me uh, here again on a future panel. Thanks, Thank Ted. you, Ted. Enjoy the evening. All right. Thanks, guys. All right. That was John Hughes and John Decker, as mentioned, uh, the two Johns uh, joining me on the Coach's Corner panel here on Golf Talk Live. And uh, we've got a few minutes here left uh, before uh, my very special guest of the evening, Don Halinski, uh, Director of Operations at Forest Dunes Golf Club, will be joining me. And uh, when I see him coming on board, I will do a uh, quick introduction and uh, we'll get into this evening's uh, discussion with him about some of the uh, great things happening up at Forest Dunes. Um, again, for, for those of you uh, that are maybe just tuning in a little bit later, um, I now publish and edit uh, Golf Tips magazine as of March of this year. Uh, this is my second issue since I've taken over the magazine. The first one uh, came out uh, a little over a month. It's a bi-monthly magazine, six uh, 
issues come out in the season. Um, I took over in March. The first one was the um, uh, July-August issue that came out, and now the September-October issue is going to be hitting newsstands uh, on August 4th, and you'll recognize it because it's got, of course, um, my favorite player of all time, uh, Jack Nicholas, on the cover, uh, plus some other great articles inside from a number of uh, very highly talented professionals, uh, both teaching and, and other parts of the game. So make sure you check that out as well. Uh, again, if you go to golftipsmag.com, you could subscribe today uh, directly online. Uh, and uh, it's a great magazine. And uh, we're working very uh, steadily, if you will, on getting out the November-December uh, issue, which will be coming out in a little while. And uh, also there will be a special edition uh, issue which will feature uh, some equipment reviews and a hot list uh, to get you ready for 2021 as well as some great uh, gift ideas for the holidays and I'll be coming out that special list, uh, edition issue uh, is coming out this year um, as a result of uh, cancellation of the May-June issue so it's to make up for that extra issue. Uh, the May-June issue as I mentioned on a previous show uh, was cancelled um, basically due to the current pandemic and with just uh, the circumstances uh, with the change of ownership. So um, look for that at newsstands on August 4th, Golf Tips Magazine. Uh, that'll be hitting uh, newsstands all across America and Canada. And uh, again, go to golftipsmag.com if you want to subscribe uh, to the magazine. 14.97 is the subscription price for one year. That gets you six issues, um, so it's a good deal. Um, all right, I want to introduce my very special guest this evening, uh, Mr. Don Helensky. He is the Director of Operations at Force Dunes Golf Club. Uh, Don joined the Force Dunes team in 2010 as Communications Manager and has seen the property grow from offering uh, only the original claimed uh, Force Dunes course to a 54-hole uh, golf destination uh, with the innovative Tom Doak design. Uh, we're also going to talk to him about the loop, uh, which is a very interesting uh, concept, if you will. And uh, there are two-acre hilltop putting course. And uh, in just a few days, on August 2nd, uh, Forest Dunes will proudly open its new 10-hole short course. Um, so we'll talk to him about that and more. So please welcome to the show my very special guest, uh, Mr. Don Helinski. Good evening, Don, and welcome to Golf Talk Live. Well, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure uh, to be on the show and talk about all the great things about golf in northern Michigan. Well, it's uh, it's a pleasure, and I know that uh, you guys are excited with all that's going on, and we're going to talk about some of those uh, new things. Let's go back a little bit, uh, and I want to talk about you for a second here. Um, you know, I like to ask, especially if guests have never been on the show before, uh, a little bit about how they got into golf Um what brought them to the game, what attracted them to the game, and how they first started out playing, obviously, um, whether it was as a youngster or a little bit later on in life. So just give us a little backstory of how you uh, came into uh, uh, the game of golf. Sure. Well, I was a, a pretty small guy growing up and uh, always was an <laughs> athlete and wanted to uh, play football. So I played football in seventh and eighth grade, but the smallest pads uh, that the school had uh, – were still too big for me. So I played seventh and eighth grade and, and, uh, didn't really care for it and was pretty small, like I said, and, uh, school didn't have cross country team. Uh, so I went out for golf instead and, and kind of, uh, 
played golf. My dad was a mild golfer, and and his father was a, a pretty active golfer, although he uh, died early in my life, so I didn't really know him, but uh, heard of all the mm. golf tales uh, from him. So kind of picked up the game in high school and just was uh, um, – you know, kind of uh, mildly uh, into it uh, throughout my four years of high school and actually spent uh, the beginning of my professional career, the first te- uh, 15 years in athletic media relations for Central Michigan University. And uh, my family uh, moved about an hour north uh, when my wife and I had kids. And uh, For- Forest Dunes was a place that I kind of landed and was doing uh, doing some work for and fashion uh just uh in working in the golf shop and the bag drop and i said hey i can do this i can do that and kind of morphed into <laughs> many different things since then so well it sounds like you had a a very similar uh experience that so many do have is uh once you get bitten by the golf bug it's it's not something that you can get away from very easily and it's uh it becomes a game for life whether uh, you play professionally on a tour or whether you um, partake in one of the many different uh, business opportunities within the golf industry. Um, so let's talk about Forest Dunes. Let me just sort of paint the picture a little bit for the listeners, uh, for those that have never been there before, um, and maybe even more so for those that have not visited North Michigan. Uh, North Michigan is probably one of the most beautiful areas, in my opinion, in the country. Um, it's just uh, so many trees and and uh, obviously uh forest dunes is nestled uh within the huron uh national forest and uh it's just uh considered to be one of the country's premier golf experiences talk about what experience somebody that comes to forest dunes before we get into the actual playing when they're driving up the driveway what are they going to see well, uh, we are in the absolute middle of nowhere, and that is something we take pride in. Uh, you know, the cell phone service has gotten a lot better. Uh, that was a, a lot of people's complaints uh, a few years ago, but we tried convincing them, you know, isn't that a blessing in a way? Isn't it? This is your chance to right. plug to escape. Uh, yeah. We are a pure golf destination. Uh, we don't have a pool or a spa or anything like that. It is high-quality golf and uh, enjoying it with the fellowship of those people that you're uh, on your trip with. And um, as you said, we're surrounded by the Huron National Forest and, the, and Manatee State Forest. Uh, 75% of the county we are located in is state and federal land, public land, forest land Mm. and uh so uh not a big population base uh most of the area is known for tourism related to the asable river and the manistee river uh which are two uh blue ribbon fly fishing uh destinations Mm -hmm. and you know we we we're well off the beaten path. You, you don't, we don't get any drive-by traffic to our restaurant. Uh, you know, our, our gate gatehouse is about two miles off of, uh, the nearest state road. And that state road is basically just a, a link between two, two, two other side state roads. And, uh, so it, it's in the middle of nowhere, uh, bordered by, uh, protected, uh, native, um, small jack pines that uh, protect an endangered bird, the Kirtland's warbler, and uh, a 
lot of people mm. think uh, that we had a forest fire go through the area, but what it is is it's clear cut. Um, they clear cut different um, parcels throughout the county, and uh, the Kirtland warbler is a bird that winters in the Bahamas and flies up to our neck of the woods in northern mm. Michigan uh, to nest. And uh, it's um, on the endangered species list, close to coming off. And uh, but uh, they it nests in the the in very young jack pine, so they have to clear cut an area, uh, let it grow to that nesting height, and so that's kind of what borders the drive on the way in. But a lot of tall tall jack pines and, and national forests is what you're going to see when you're when you're coming in. And talk about. Um originally the design uh, with Tom Weiskopf, obviously um, a prominent uh, PGA player for, for many, many years. Um, he's had a hand here originally uh, with Forest Dunes, correct? Correct. He designed the original course. The, the, the piece of property and the original goal of the developers in the late 90s is, is rather interesting. Um, we kind of talked for a brief second about uh, the, the great beauty of northern Michigan, and uh, we are saturated with a lot of high-quality golf courses uh, in the northern, mm-hmm. northern part of the state. We're on the 45th parallel, which is halfway between the North Pole and the equator, and uh, that extends our daylight when in um, May and early June, throughout June, uh, will be light well after 10 o'clock uh, at night. And um, so, um, but um, there, there's a lot of uh, resorts that you've probably heard of in addition to ourselves, uh, the likes of Treetops and Boyne and Shanty Creek and Garland and Crystal Mountain and a lot of these multi-course resorts. Well, uh, Treetops and Garland were kind of the first two and, and had the big name in the 80s, and then a lot of these other ones fell in the line. Well, a developer had a goal for a private gated community in Roscommon, Michigan, which, like I said, is in the middle, absolute middle of nowhere. The land that our property is on um, was uh, once by own, owned by William Durant, the founder of General Motors, and uh, then it was also owned uh, by the Purple Gang, which is a famous uh, Detroit Mafia family, um, and uh, <laughs> this was kind of their escape. It was called the South Branch Ranch. We're in South Branch Township, and the South Branch is the branch of the Asable that runs uh, closest to the course. And uh, they actually searched for Jimmy Hoffa out here. Um, and, um, you know, so it kind of had a, a unique history. And the original um, developer had a goal of a private gated community, uh, a quest, two championship courses, equestrian center, swimming pools. And uh, like I said, we're in the middle of nowhere. Uh, so between uh, infrastructure and some things uh, that uh, people who might be looking for that type of residence for a, a second or third residence, uh, probably not enough there to support it. And then the oversaturation of re- uh, residential golf developments in northern Michigan probably wasn't the right time. And, and uh the original developer never got the property off the ground, uh, even though construction had started on the course. 
Um, the Michigan Carpenters Union Pension Fund uh, took over the course and actually got the course open, completed. Uh, in fact, when it was first completed, it sat dormant for uh, about half of the summer uh, until they were able to actually get it open. And um, and uh, they were uh, the the property was managed by a couple different uh, golf management companies. The last being Troon, and uh, they were still trying to sell these 500 real estate lots and uh, also develop uh, this private membership that uh, never really happened, and the the club was losing quite a bit of money. And um, even even though we had a, a nationally ranked uh, uh, golf public golf golf course when Forest Dunes opened in 2002. Uh, it was named uh, best upscale course in the country by Golf Digest, and uh, you know where the Forest Dunes uh, course is currently ranked 28 uh, among uh, public courses by Golf Digest uh, in in America, and has been perennial. You know, ever since it's opened, we've been in that top 28. So. Um, you know, we we had a, a place, but it, we didn't really make a big jump until a, a private individual bought the property in 2011, and that was uh, Mr. Lou Thompson. Yeah, and it and it's interesting. We'll we'll talk about what he, uh, I guess, his vision in a moment. But I, I wanted to. I've been I've been dying to to ask this. Um, I found it a really interesting concept, and this is another part of Forest Dunes that has become very, very popular, and that's referred to, as I mentioned earlier, the loop, uh, which is a Tom Doak uh, layout. Explain what the loop is for those that uh, aren't familiar with the property. Well, the loop is a authentic Heathland-style golf course. Uh, it is 18 greens and fairways. Uh, but it plays as two totally different golf courses. So it's a reversible golf course. And uh, some people may not realize that St. Andrews uh, was a reversible golf course as well and played that way regularly in its early years. And um, basically one of the iconic par threes was on the same hole uh, or the same side as the, um, the, um, road hole and people wanted to say they hit it over the hotel on the road hole and, and play that direction of the par three. So uh, that popularity wise is what stuck as the main routing. So sometimes when you watch the open championship on television, you'll see some bunkers that you're like, no, that doesn't really make sense. Why is that bunker there? Well, it's because that's in primarily in play for the opposite routing. And, uh, but so basically, um, we have two different routings of the loop. We call them the red and the black. Uh, golfers play one direction on a given day. So even calendar days, we play the red routing. Odd calendar days, everybody plays the black routing. So uh, red goes in a counterclockwise uh, motion, and uh, black is, is clockwise. And it plays as two totally different golf courses. In fact, uh, Golf Digest has uh, the Loop Black ranked number 45 and the Loop Red number 47 among public golf courses in America's uh, greatest list. And, uh, and you know, it's, it's baffling to me that this concept uh, hasn't really been replicated on a full 18-hole scale since St. Andrews. Uh, and uh, Tom Doak um, was the architect 
behind it, and he had been he had pitched it to several developers. He had been wanting to do it and had pages and pages in his notebook of different ideas <laughs> uh, related to it. And it took a special piece of property and an owner who was willing to take the chance. And the other thing that probably helped out quite a bit is the fact that he resides in Traverse City, Michigan, which is about 60 miles from here. Uh, and uh, so he was on site and, and on property for this and had a vested interest. It's the closest he had worked to home in a number of years. And, um, you know, he really wanted to pull this off and it, the, the loop opened to uh, rave reviews and uh, was named best uh, new public course in the country by both Golf Magazine and Golf Digest. And, uh, you know, it's just a very unique design and, and uh, a very authentic Heathland style, uh, you know, link style technically is on the water. So Heathland is that void of trees and, and relatively flat style of play. It's a fescue grass, very fast and firm, more brown than green, especially nowadays uh, with some of the 90-degree uh, uh, consecutive days that we've had here in the last two weeks or so. It's browned out quite a bit, and it's a different style of play. Right. Some people love it, and, and some don't care for it, and we're expecting another forest dunes. What's really unique about this, um, the loop, Don, that really kind of intrigued me, <laughs> excuse me, is typically with most golf courses, if they want the golfer to have a different experience, it usually involves uh, moving the tees or playing from a different tee box. It, it, they're very limited in what they can do. What's unique about this is you've taken 18 holes uh, and – basically have created or rather Tom has uh, a completely different experience um, playing 18 holes um, from a different perspective and I, I think that's what makes it and I think I'm sure that's why it opened to rave reviews is it, it is a concept that is not very widely seen certainly here in, in America and I think it was uh, obviously um, very of uh, great vision um, by Tom to to do that, and you know you're you're not taking up any additional land because you already had the 18 holes there, but you've you know manipulated it in such a way to be able to provide uh, the players uh, a completely different experience, ala the red one day and black another day, and it just really attests to um, really what can be done. Um, with with the property um, that's different and uniquely different, and obviously I know you guys uh, are very proud of of that addition to uh, to Forest Dunes. Yes, and you know I know the one thing for all the listeners out there are probably having a hard time conceptualizing this in their head using their imagination right now, and, and it is a lot easier to demonstrate and explain <laughs> visually. Um, but the, one of the things that helps you to understand this concept is you kind of have to throw out the modern ideas of a golf course with defined tee boxes mm -hmm. and rough and fairway and green. Um, there is no rough on this course. It is all one fairway cut. So what is a tee area one day, which is basically just a flat spot, 
because what's the T area one day is part of the fairway the next day when it's coming back in the other direction. So we have some people saying, oh, they're driving on the T boxes. Well, yeah, that's fine. They're <laughs> driving on the fairway coming back the other way, you know. So um, so that that's the one thing that um, I think people, you know, are picturing these laser line square tee boxes um, right. that are maybe a little bit elevated and things like that. It is just a flat spot of, uh, of the tee area. Again, in true throwback fashion, uh, you know, in, in the early years, there wasn't a tee box. Whoever won the hole got to right. pick where you dropped your ball and, and, and went to the next green. And uh, so there's very, the, when the loop, when we originally opened the course, uh, it was walking only and we hoped, we had hoped to maintain that. Uh, however, uh, the economics and the business uh, have dictated otherwise that we needed carts, that there weren't uh, enough people uh, that were willing to walk it. And um, so, um, but, um, and then the other thing you have to realize is um, that it's each, each fairway matches up with a different green. If you think about your approach shot, that's the, the the main key shot in golf is the approach shot into the green. So each right. of your approach shots are um, are different from the same spot in the fairway. So you are going at at the green from 150 yards out the one day. If you are in that same spot, you turn yourself around and are heading 150 yards into the other green, it's a totally different shot. Uh, the green that you just played, um, when you play it in the other direction, the, the bunkers are going to be in different locations. The, the slope of the green is going to be to a, 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 another different direction. So that whole backdrop totally changes. And, and the really unique thing is, is the greens – uh, are not the same um, par even uh, from the different directions. So, for example, mm -hmm. the red number six is a short par three, and it's a 100-yard shot, and you're, it's a little bit of a carry over some scruffy native, native grass into a very wide and shallow green. The next day, that same green, when you play it, you're approaching it from about um, – 130 degree angle difference and uh number 12 black is a par four dog leg right and your approach shot from the corner is not into a shallow wide green it's into a long skinny green because you're looking at it from a totally different direction so um you know the the greens themselves it's it's not that it oh it was a par 4 coming this way and it's a par 4 coming from the other way as well they're all different and it's it's very unique and again it's something that is is very hard to conceptualize in your head uh without seeing either some video or a diagram to help explain it but it is two totally different courses your, the, the, the difference of approach into the greens is anywhere from 180 degrees, uh, so in total, the total opposite direction, or uh, the closest one is probably about 30 degrees on uh, number 9 and 10 going each direction. Um, that, that's only about a 30-degree difference. That's, that's the um, slimmest uh, uh, angle that, uh, that there is. 
So, um, but again, it's 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 just mind blowing and uh, something that you really have to experience. And in order to appreciate the true genius of the design, you really need to play it both ways. And most people uh, want to play it multiple times each way because they they finally either get used to the style of it uh, or um, finally get used to um, the different. Um, different angles and approach it's it's a very fun fun course to play uh it's it's pretty short par is 70 and uh the defense of the course is is around the greens and there's a lot of creative shot making that goes in a lot of mounding there's no trouble there's no water on the course at all um and uh very little trees in play it's it's very wide open so it's a lot of fun for begin uh beginners uh, and players of all ability levels. You know, it sounds like a, an incredible experience. And, uh, you know, as I mentioned earlier, you know, typically with a lot of the golf courses, um, you know, once the, the the general lay of the land is done, really they're they're very limited in what they can do. And and uh, and again, it's either moving tee boxes or or moving the, the actual tees within uh, the structure to to make it play a little bit differently. Um, I really like this design. I, I find it very, very interesting, the loop. And uh, again, uh, its uniqueness uh, helps to make, uh, in addition to already uh, a great uh, uh, Weisskopf course, uh, helps to, to make uh, Forest Dune stand out. Talk to us about the hilltop uh, portion of, of uh, Forest Dunes. Explain what that's about. Sure. It's a two-acre putting course, 18 holes that we have laid out, uh, you know, um, similar to the punch bowl for people who are familiar with band. And, and it's just a, a great place to, to go out, uh, on an evening. It's complimentary part of, part of your stay with us. Or if you're just stopping in for dinner, we have people who on a date night stop in for dinner and, and head out and, and we'll put around, uh, the hilltop. And, um, you know, it's, it's great for gambling games. It's pretty undulating, uh, terrain. Um, it is located right next to, uh, the new short course that's coming online here next weekend. And, um, right in between, uh, the practice facility and that, uh, uh, short course, uh, right next to the clubhouse. So, um, but it, the, the hilltop was originally part of the uh, original Forest Dunes development when it opened, and um, it it wasn't getting any play at all. The, the original idea was this private gated community and that all these grandparents would be living there and able to bring their grandchildren out and introduce them to the game and, and, and play with them on this putting course. And uh, back in in those days, the early 2000s, we were only getting about 4,000 rounds a year. So the the amount of play on that uh, was very costly for um, the maintenance that uh, was required to maintain a, a basically a two acre green. So um, it uh, it was let go. And uh, once we developed the the loop and had all this additional lodging and had all these folks that are on site on property uh, with pretty much nothing else to do, 
and kind of the emergence of all these destinations having something similar, uh, our owner, Lou Thompson, decided, hey, we, we should bring back that putting course uh, with the location it's in and, and uh, giving something for people to do, like I said, a pure golf destination. I mean, we are literally 20 minutes from the nearest town. Uh, there's no casinos or no nightlife to speak of. Uh, so when we, when we have people here on property, uh, I don't want to say they're trapped, but the, really there isn't any where for them uh, to, to go locally. And so having an amenity like this hilltop putting course uh, is, is something that's a, a lot of fun. And you'll see these groups, uh, you know, up there with, with large numbers of, you know, 18 to 30, 30 guys, and, and they're playing different games, whether it be an alternate shot contest or just low score contest and uh, different things like that. So, um, you know, it's uh, – was kind of the predecessor to the to the short course and, and something that we already had on on property and uh, it's very popular with our groups and uh, different events such as our member guests and things like that. Well, and it's a great way, as you said. Uh, you know, obviously, you know, if you're out playing during the day and you're you're playing 18 uh, and you're looking for for to have an entertaining moment. I mean. Uh, again, you can get your group together or, or other, uh, you know, guests that are staying uh, at Forest Dunes uh, involved and, and, you know, make some games out of it. And, you know, what better way to work on your short game than on a, on a, on a putting course like that? Which brings me to, I know, something that you guys are very, very excited about uh, opening up here uh, the beginning of August is going to be your new 10-hole, uh, just a little over 1,100-yard uh, short course. Um, talk a little bit about the uh, the two gentlemen that were involved in the designing of that, and a little bit, um, as I mentioned earlier, uh, the Forest Dunes owner, Lou Thompson, uh, wanted something that was going to be fun and playable for uh, uh, not only his grandkids, of course, but uh, particularly beginning golfers. So talk a little bit about the, the gentleman behind this uh, new course uh, design and a little bit about what uh, you're hoping to uh, to uh, get with the with the short course. Sure. Well, a lot of the destination courses nowadays are adding these uh, you know short courses to their uh, inventory of offerings for different amenities, and. Um, our owner, Lou Thompson, uh, went uh, to Pinehurst, and uh, he played the cradle there, and uh, he fell in love with it, and uh, it's probably on record as the most expensive trip to Pinehurst that anybody's ever had because he said, I have to have one of these, and uh, wanted to build one when he got back. And so... Um, so his trip to Pinehurst cost him the, the you know, the price of a new, new ten-hole course, and uh, one of the main reasons uh, that he wanted it is um, he has two young grandsons, uh, thirteen and nine, and uh, they are absolutely in love with the game of golf, and they run him ragged when he brings them up, and wants to pull, They want to play thirty-six holes a day, and and he just doesn't have the energy for that anymore with his age and um also 
when they would play Forest Dunes is unique in that it has a set of junior tees. Uh, we have five tee boxes on Forest Dunes, and uh, the the number five tees are all about at 150 yards. It basically turns uh, everything into a par three. Well, when he would play the Forest Dunes course with them, they didn't feel they were playing the real course because they went all the way up to mm. the five tees. So um, he he was looking for something that um, we we have this outdoor a very unique outdoor uh, pavilion uh, bar area. It's it's a covered. Uh, um, building um with uh wood burning fireplace three wood burning fireplaces and an outdoor bar and it is right off our patio and this is where that short course uh that opens next weekend starts and ends is right there at that patio it's kind of the the social hub of of the activity at night Mm -hmm. uh for all our guests who are staying on property and uh you know he kind of wanted something where after playing a little bit with the grandkids he could go sit down at the pavilion and just say Jason Jagger you guys go out there play the short course <laughs> and and he can watch most of it from sitting right there and and not worrying about them getting in trouble and wrecking a cart or putting it in the water or anything like that so um you know <laughs> we we were looking for different designers and um um, Lou is very good friends with Matt Janella, uh, you know, formerly of the Golf Channel, mm-hmm. who's one of the golf travel right. uh, leading experts around the country. And um, um, his home course down in uh, Winter Park, Florida, uh, was recently redone. It's a municipal course, nine holes, uh, that has been rebranded as the Winter Park Nine. And uh, Keith Reb and Riley Johns are the two uh, gentlemen that uh, were the architects behind that renovation, and, which has led to a great renaissance of that property. And uh, they were who we tabbed as uh, the architects for this project. And, um, you know, one of the big reasons was, uh, you know, we didn't necessarily need a name architect uh, for a short course. I mean, you know, nobody is going to come because Coor Crenshaw or Doak or one of the cons, one of the big names in in golf architecture built the short course. Uh, You know, they're they're coming to play the championship courses of those types of designers. Uh, But you could get away with having kind of an up-and-coming golf design team uh, do this type of project and have it be very successful and meet your needs. And, um, and, uh, in everything, um, everything with this project was very kind of spur of the moment in, in last year, in April, we didn't even have a shovel in the ground. Um, the call went out to those two gentlemen and, uh, um, you know, Lou really wanted it to be able to open for play this year. So a year later, uh, they, they were able to comp- from the first uh, day on property to leaving the property after the grass was seeded. It only took 81 days for this project uh, to be completed and uh, the architect team off property. So they just happened to be available. Their background is they are uh, shapers for some of the big names in the industry. Uh, for those of you that are familiar with with golf uh, course uh, building and, and architecture, uh, the the shapers uh, 
you know, travel from project to project and work with all the different designers. And, uh, you know, different uh, designers may have ones that they typically work with, but it's just what project do you have going on now and who has work and availability. And and so uh, Keith Reb uh, has, has spent close to 20 years uh, working with Core Crenshaw, um, and then Riley Johns has has worked uh, with Core Crenshaw uh, as well, and uh, that's in fact where he met, uh, where they teamed up, Keith and, and Riley. And uh, Riley was actually interning with Tom Doak in the early stages of the loop, and, and Riley was part of the advanced scout team that was on site uh, looking at different routing possibilities uh, when the loop was just in its design infancy. So those were the two um, that were uh, tabbed for this project. And, um, you know, everything about the short course movement in golf is kind of throwing out the the old guard standards of golf. Uh, we're, we're calling it a short course versus a par three course because we don't mm-hmm. think the emphasis is on measuring yourself against a standard like par. You know, the whole goal of this course right. is to go out and have a good time with your friends. Not saying that there's not competition involved, but it's not necessarily <laughs> a this is par, it's par, par is 30 because we have 10 holes and it's a, uh, a par three course. So you should, you know, the, the average person should score a 30. No, we're throwing all that out. Um, we're allowing people to play in up to eight sums. Uh, you know, I expect people to be playing music and being barefoot and carrying two or three clubs (laughs) and a couple (laughs) bottles of beer and a very relaxed type uh, atmosphere. It, it is a very compact footprint, and, and I almost relate it in a, in a way to mini golf and that the holes are right. literally right next to each other. It's, it's about a 10-acre uh, um, piece of the property that, that the short course is on. Our practice facility may even be bigger than the footprint of the, the short course. And it's got some very cool undulating terrain. And, um, you know, a lot of people ask us, well, why 10 holes? And, you know, kind of like the response to throwing out the standards of, of golf. Well, who says mm-hmm. the course needs to be nine holes or 18 holes? Uh, we gave Keith and Riley a piece of land and said, we need a course to fit in within these boundaries. And they said, well, we can fit 10 holes, good holes in there. And we said, hey, that's great. Build them. And uh, that's how it's come to be. We don't have a name for the course yet, so we've just been calling it the short course. We've been struggling to have something that really jumps out uh, to us that that has meaning uh, uh, for this. But, you know, the holes range between 50 and 150 yards and uh, have a lot of creative shot making um, with them. Uh, it's, it's a fescue, uh, fescue fairways, uh, a lot of mounding, uh, particularly around the greens. So there's going to be a lot of unique shot making opportunities of banking it off the sides. And uh, you, it may not be uh, uncommon for people to use putter off the tee on a couple of holes, uh, whether that's a, by design, by a game they're playing, or just uh, the shot 
selection uh, and on hole number six is one that's going to come to mind that people may want to use putter. It's a downhill, uh, and, and with that fast, firm, once everything grows in and, and gets uh, nice and brown and, and fast like we like, people are going to be able to putt down this hill and kind of run run it down the serpent's back and, and see where it goes. But the like I said, the whole uh, um, – concept behind this course is another amenity for our guests that's golf related that's having fun uh doing competitions not necessarily keeping a score but whether it be a skins game or closest to the pin or or other different games that uh people invent and the unique thing is is this the first tee for this is just 20 yards from our pavilion and uh the 10th hole is about 40 yards from the pavilion so there's going to be a gallery uh for the first tee and the 10th tee and uh the the other unique thing about this course is uh number one and number 10 are crossover holes so the fairways actually kind of form an x and um uh, but it is it is right next to our clubhouse and in the pavilion and it's going to be it's seen the first thing you see when you pull into the parking lot ahead is one of the greens the ninth green and um it's just another amenity that we have that uh, guests will be able to enjoy long into the night. And uh, one thing, you know, with uh, these putting courses or short courses um, that we've seen in destination resort type golf is that people aren't always trying to cram 36 holes in, in a given day anymore. You know, you can't do that three Mm -hmm. days in a row uh, for a lot of these groups. So maybe they're only playing 36, one of the days, uh, they're playing 18 and then doing the putting course one night and 18 and doing the short course another night. And uh, they may find it so fun that they go out. It don't, it, we've, we've, we had a kind of a preview open and uh, for some of our membership and, you know, it only takes about an hour to play so that that old uh, adage of golf takes too much time or it costs too much money. Uh, you can kind of throw those two things uh, out, out the door as well because it's $39 to play the 10 holes and uh, free for children when accompanied by an adult, and it only takes about an hour to play. Fantastic. Uh, you know, Don, what's really interesting uh, about the whole uh, Forest Dunes experience is unlike so many of the other resorts that you mentioned out there, um, you offer a variety of options um, and not just uh, a number of different courses to play, but actual options to play. And as you mentioned, time is a, is a big factor. I've been in the golf business for, for 25 plus years and I've played the game. I'm, I'm in my mid fifties. That gives you an idea of my generation. And I learned the game when I was very, very young before the age of seven. And, you know, one of the things that is has become very prevalent right now in golf is is time. Uh, people don't have you know necessarily four hours all the time to play, or even five hours in many cases. And what what's unique about Forest Dunes is you have a great resource uh, resort track and in Forest Dunes uh, course itself uh, for those that are uh, wanting that that uh, you know full course experience. Um, but yet you also add something in with the loop, which is different, um, a different experience altogether. Again, 18 holes, but an entirely different concept. Um, now you throw in uh, the hilltop putting course, uh, again, for, for those that maybe aren't as skilled um, and want to just go out and have some fun, a fun evening while they're there uh, at the resort. 
and then now you've added on uh, another caveat, if you will, with the short course, uh, again, for uh, kids to play or for adults, again, that, that don't necessarily want to commit four hours uh, twice a day, um, you know, playing the longer course, uh, they can go and just have some fun uh, and and take their kids out if they want or just themselves uh, get into some different challenging. So you've really hit all of the sweet spots for to steal a, a term from golf uh, with four students with all the different options there. Um, you know, I, I've been to the website and we're going to give that here in just a second for, for people to actually visually see what we've been talking about here tonight. But um, my my compliments to all the those involved. Uh, obviously, Lou is the owner, but to all of the staff at Forest Dunes and those uh, Reben and and Johns for for doing a great job on the short course. And I know you guys are excited uh, for the official launch in a few days. Oh, a- absolutely. And and you know you hit it on the head with. Uh, you know, variety, whether it's a variety in the courses or the variety of lodging options that we have. Uh, you know, we don't just have your standard hotel-type rooms. We also have golf villas right. uh, that are located right close to the clubhouse that are either in two- or four-bedroom configurations. Um, and then uh, if if you're kind of looking to be a little bit farther away from people and maybe a little more privacy, we have full-scale homes uh, on property, uh, some of which are on on a small lake right on property. Others are right on the course. Um, So we have about 120 beds on site now, and uh, those three different styles of lodging options, depending on what your group is looking for. Some groups like to cook their own and and, and grill out one of the nights and be all able to gather together. Others are, you know, looking to be as close to the clubhouse as they can and and walk to the short course or the putting course and all those different types of things. So, and, and that was a big, uh, you know, thing with the loop as well is when Lou Thompson spoke with the different uh, architects that he pitched uh, the idea of, of, of a second course at Forest Dunes for, he, he told them he wanted three things, uh, something that would wow people, something that was going to cause them to want to stay multiple nights and, and have our lodging. And, and the third thing was something totally different than Forest Dunes. Um, you know, Forest Dunes, we haven't even talked about that uh, that course very much in this uh, segment here, but it's, you know, it, it's, it's very unique in its own right um, with, uh, mm-hmm. you know, the front nine being through the forest, typical parkland-style golf, and then the back, line, back nine really opens up and is where the native sand dunes are uh, exposed and, along with the scruffy native underbrush and, and, and grasses. And, and some people refer to that as link style, um, not having, you know, before the loop kind of came online. And, and that is very unique that particularly the back nine of forest dunes is very unique in its own right but people you know those those courses are a dime a dozen up here in in northern michigan and that's what you see everywhere else and and we have people that you know the the loop is just the polar opposite and it's the first time a lot of people have played anything uh different and uh you know it's it's a different total different style and it's something that uh we've been able to offer and a lot of people say it's the most authentic you know experience that uh, that they've had in in america compared to the ones that have been lucky enough to to play over overseas so be to be able to uh have that variety uh some people uh 
joke and, and, and call our parking lot the Atlantic Ocean because all you have to do is, is cross <laughs> from one side to the other and you're in a total different world when it comes to uh, uh, the golf uh, sector in, in that European fast and firm feel. So. Yeah, it's a, it's a great experience all the way around, um, as I mentioned, and you've got so many great options. And, you know, you mentioned sort of at the top of, of this, the show um, where, you know, you, you are out in the middle of nowhere and people want an experience. You know, they want to be able to get away. They want to enjoy themselves. And, you know, you've got something really a little bit for everybody, even for those that are maybe not diehard golfers but want to maybe experience that, but maybe aren't quite ready for the challenges that Force Dune offers or even the challenges that the Loop offers. You've got a short course option that's, again, interesting and exciting and very versatile. And then you've got, of course, the hilltop uh, you know, putting course as well. So for somebody that's not, uh, you know, if you've got a family that wants to come and visit, and maybe the kids uh, aren't quite ready to, to, you know, address some of the, the more uh, challenging aspects of, of, of the golfing experience. There's something there for, for them as well. And it's a, a great opportunity for, for couples, especially in this day and age, you know, and, and especially with, with what's going on with, uh, you know, our current environment. People just want somewhere to go that they can have a great experience. And you guys have got the complete package. Uh, well done. Well, we appreciate that, and it, 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 this whole national health or worldwide health situation has has really been a boom for for golf, particularly in northern right. Michigan. Right. Uh, we we are having just an absolute record-setting year, and uh, you know it's one of the few things that people can do or feel safe doing uh, in in these sure. times is getting out in, in the outdoors and playing and getting some exercise and and so uh, it's been uh, fortunate for us and and I think uh, you know one of the unique things is that it's brought uh, some different customers our way that uh, you know we've had groups of people who were supposed to have a trip to to Scotland or Ireland that's now been canceled because they you know can't get out of the country and and so they're looking for something in 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 the state uh, or in the Midwest, and then we've got groups who, uh, when this thing first hit in uh, in late March, uh, early April, who had a trip to Phoenix planned, and that had to get canceled, and they don't want to reschedule in the dead heat of uh, August in in Phoenix, so they're looking for, for something else. So it's brought some people our way that maybe didn't have trips planned, but, uh, you know, as unfortunate it is and has adjusted our way of life uh, at least golf has has offered uh, an escape for many people uh, from that situation well said um, well Don I want to thank you very much and as I mentioned we want to give uh, some information uh, the website of course is forceddunesgolf.com uh, you can go there and find all about um, all of the contact information is there uh, you can go right there. You can book tea times on there. They've got a great digital magazine as well that you can view some of the different amenities and so forth that are available there. Um, what's uh, any other uh, things that you want to uh, say as we wrap up uh, this segment um, before we go? 
Sure, yeah. The best uh, if you, if you're looking to book a stay and play package, the best thing to do would be either to give us a call or there's an online uh, stay and play request form. Um, that's available on the website where you can fill in the dates you're looking at, uh, the amount of players you have, and the amount of golfers. Uh, again, based on what you're looking for, your needs of your group, uh, the length of your stay, and what our availability is, um, the, the best thing to do for booking a stay and play is give us a call so we can get to know a little bit about what your needs are and then match you up uh, with your specific dates and what's available or if uh, – make a recommendation if your dates uh, are are flexible and uh, you you have options in that regard so uh, but we have something for everyone and like i said it it's an absolute escape uh, your blood pressure will lower your the stress and the weight <laughs> of the world will be off your shoulders and uh, you'll be under a bowl full of stars at night by the the fire pit and during the day enjoying world class golf and, um, you know, there's no better place in the world than, than Forest Dunes, in my opinion. So we hope to see you soon. Again, well, again, well said. I'm, I'm on my way. Um, again, to the listeners, uh, go to forestdunesgolf.com. All of the information that, that Don just mentioned is available there. You can check it out. They've got a great uh, video that shows the property there. Just uh, absolutely breathtaking uh, and, and so many amenities from great accommodations to uh, even on-site dining. Uh, for those that uh, want to get away from doing their own cooking, there's some great options there as well. And uh, also uh, they have an online store, and you can get all the resort information there. Go to forestdunesgolf.com, and you can give them a call. Uh, the number is area code 989-275-0700 if you want to speak to somebody directly. But, Don, thank you very much for, for coming on uh, Golf Talk Live tonight and, and sharing uh, really a, a great uh, property up in the north uh, part of Michigan. And I wish uh, you and your staff and, and everybody uh, a successful season this year. And uh, and thank you for joining me tonight on Golf Talk Live. Well, it was a pleasure, and we, we hope uh, a lot of you get to come up here and experience golf, not just at Forest Dunes, but anywhere in northern Michigan. It's a great place, and and uh, I hope and wish everybody stays safe out there with the with all the – situations that we're under so yeah i couldn't agree more again don thank you very much for joining me tonight and uh go out and enjoy that great property uh this weekend uh you're you're a lucky man (laughs) i'm jealous (laughs) i wish i was there (laughs) i'm I'm gonna make my way there i promise i'm gonna do that uh very soon Uh, again don thank you very much for joining me our pleasure thank you all right good night all right, that was my very special guest, Don Holinsky, uh, Director of Operations at Forest Dunes Golf Club uh, in northern Michigan. If you go to forestdunesgolf.com, as I mentioned, uh, all of the information there as far as uh, stay-and-play packages, uh, uh, lots of uh, great resort information, and uh, many, many options to play some great golf from the Forest Dunes uh, uh, golf course uh, to the loop and um, also the hilltop uh, putting course and the uh, newly opening, uh, excuse me, in a week's time, uh, their new short course uh, is is going to be uh, opening up here, I believe, uh, either August 1st or August 2nd. So you want to definitely check it out. So if you're looking at, you know, getting away and just, you know, looking for something to do, and, and even if you're not a diehard golfer, uh, um, but you just want a, a great place to stay, 
there's a lot of different things that you can do right on site. So make sure you check them out. So go to forestunesgolf.com to get all of the information there. All right, I want to thank everybody again for uh, tuning in to this week's broadcast. Uh, again, a special thanks to John Hughes and John Decker uh, for uh, firing up the Coach's Corner panel tonight. And uh, once again, thanks to Don Halinski, Director of Operations at Forest Dunes Golf Club in Northern Michigan. God bless everybody. I will see you next week right here on Golf Talk Live. Take care. Thanks for listening to this evening's broadcast of Golf Talk Live. Remember to tune in each week at blogtalkradio.com forward slash golftalklive. If you can't join us live, check out the on-demand section for previously aired broadcasts or listen on any of the following social media platforms, iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, CastBox, TalkStream Live, and of course, Spotify. To get updates on future shows and upcoming guests, be sure to visit the show's Facebook page, Golf Talk Live Blog. You can also follow me on Twitter at Ted and Buck CEO. Remember to join me live each week for another great broadcast of Golf Talk Live. See you next time. This has been a production of the iGolf Sports Network.